CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States. The Fox former News vice president. It's the question everybody wants answers to. So what happens now? After record amounts of voter turnout, with an unprecedented amount of early ballots cast and a surge of youth turnout in key battleground states, the 2020 election forever changed how people vote and who they vote for. Over the span of a few months, our government has seen a new Supreme Court, a new Congress, a new president-elect, and a new democratic future. My name is Nick Silk, and I'm a senior at the University of Michigan who's been tracking these changes quite closely. On today's episode, I'll be joined by a number of special guests to discuss just how impactful these developments are, and if they're just blips in the road of American democracy or signs of real systemic change. After gaining insights from democratic political experts, Engaging the current Republican views on the fallout of this election cycle and the future guiding principles and leaders in the political landscape, I'll sit down with other college students and young voters to talk about the things that give us optimism, pessimism, hope, fear, and all other emotions when thinking about our country's new democratic path. These next four years, at the minimum, will be a roller coaster of policy, activism, and reform. Rather than wait for them to happen, let's talk about them now. Introducing the future of American democracy. First, I spoke with Trevor Daly. He's president of Sorrell Associates, a Los Angeles-based public relations firm that conducts communications, public affairs, and government relations work across a litany of cities and industries. Before Sorrell, He oversaw external relations for Los Angeles World Airports and served as state director and a key strategist for U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein. To begin our conversation, I wanted to gauge Trevor's takeaways on the 2020 election and its voting trends. This election was very unique. And I think across the board, people had their minds made up very early on. And so young people came out primarily to stop President Trump, not because they had passion behind President-elect Joe Biden. I think that both parties are at a place that they have to do some of their own vision work and have to go back to figure out who they are and who they represent. And what about elections moving forward? Is there any chance that the Electoral College is one day abolished? I would prefer to go by the popular vote, but in reality, I don't think it's going to happen. For those things to change, you have to have a lot of political capital, and there's not really any group out there that is going to take this and and win in a measurable amount of time. And there hasn't been a consistent effort by large groups or funders. And I think, Nick, every time you have a president, 
the president usually is dealt with something. And this president is dealt with COVID and the economy right away. And he's going to use his political capital on those two things. And if he has any left, he will work on fixing Obamacare and he'll turn it into Bidencare. That led into my next question. The new administration is certainly going to have a lot on their plate. But what will be their legislative priorities? Well, I think number one is how he deals with two aspects of COVID-19. The first aspect is getting the numbers to a very controllable level and then looking at how people have access to a vaccine. And then the second part is the economy. Biden is going to have to really quickly figure out how he can maneuver a package deal that was already passed in the House, that is stalled in the Senate, that is going to get real dollars directly to people, and then secondly, to small business owners. Number two is how do we look at the world stage and how do we get back into policy alignments like the Paris Climate Accord, the Iran nuclear deal, and then how do we look at China, North Korea, and Russia? And then three, what's happening with the environment? And if Nick, if you look at what he laid out as his cabinet pick, it kind of aligns. He did Secretary of State first, a lot on intelligence, and then also former Senator John Kerry. He's having him as a lead role on the environment. Finally, I wanted to know what non-legislative changes might occur. Here are some differences Trevor hoped for between the Trump and Biden presidencies. I want the chaos to stop. I think it's really important for people your age and younger to realize Donald Trump is not a role model and he's not somebody that shares the values of decent, hardworking, respectable Americans. I really want there to be a restore to self-respect, respect for others. I think that's a big deal. So I hope that Harris and Biden are going to have those great points in the the four years that really rise people up and spotlight on people's greatness, not divide people. In many ways, this is how most Democrats feel. Hopeful for the future and thankful that a new administration is taking over. What do Republicans think? They might have lost the White House, but there's a lot more to discuss about their future. I think uh, we'll look back at this election, even if we lose, uh, and maybe even more so if we lose, as a, uh, as a launching point for the Republican Party to be a majority party in the future. That's what Rick Santorum, the former Republican senator, had to say in a conversation with the Napa Institute. And he's not wrong. Despite losing the presidential election, 2020 saw some pretty big wins for the Republican Party. The Senate races ended up being much more in favor to Republicans than any pre-election polls predicted. 
many of them that were expected to be close and sometimes even tilt to the Democrats ended up being Republican blowouts. The House of Representatives also had surprising Republican swings. After Democrats gained control of the House in 2018, many pundits thought they would extend their lead in 2020. Instead, Republicans flipped eight seats, kicking out several first-term Democrats. Though Democrats ended up keeping their House control, Republicans gained a lot of influence and power and set themselves up nicely for a 2022 run. Lastly, Republicans won almost every important state-level election where redistricting was at stake. By keeping power in many state senates and houses, Republicans are now set to control the redistricting of 188 congressional districts. Why is this important? Well, it gives gerrymandering power to Republicans, who will be able to redraw the congressional districts in ways that favor their party and hurt Democrats, well beyond Biden's time in the Oval Office. Yet questions exist on what the Republican Party will actually look like in the coming years. There's no doubt Donald Trump changed the standards and direction of the party. Now, after his loss, Republicans have to decide if they will follow in his footsteps or divert to the more traditional conservative values. Immigration, foreign relations, climate change, the national debt, and domestic terrorism are only a few of the policy issues that have been prioritized differently in the past four years than any previous administration. The long-lasting impact of these changes from the perspectives of both voters and elected officials, is uncertain. What's also uncertain is just how involved Trump will be in the Republican Party. He has huge support and approval amongst them. After all, 72 million Americans voted for him this year. Stuart Stevens, the former chief strategist of presidential candidate Mitt Romney, thinks Trump's influence may last longer than we think. In an interview with the NPR-affiliated podcast Here and Now, Stevens had to say this. You know, I, I think the Republican Party is sort of like the subprime mortgage crisis. It's a lot easier to predict how it ends than how long it takes. And it may take longer than we think. I think it's pretty clear that Trumpism is alive and well and is going to dominate the, the Republican Party. There is no viable anti-Trump movement in the Republican Party. So Stevens, like many other Republican pundits, is unconvinced that Trump will be gone from our lives come January 20th, 2021. This notion is probably strengthened by the fact that many Republican leaders are big supporters of the 45th president. There's the guys you know, like Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Mitch McConnell, and Lindsey Graham. I'm going to stand with President Trump. If a Democrat were doing this, it'd be cheered on. and We're not going to let the media intimidate us into exploring whether or not these contests were fairly had. What you just heard was Graham giving his support to Trump post-election essentially having the belief that Trump's claims of election fraud are valid and that he shouldn't concede. Looking to the Republican Party's future, there are lesser-known names that have been allies to Trump and have larger political aspirations. Jim Jordan, Devin Nunes, Jane Timken, and Josh Halley stand out as future Republican leaders, with policy goals and values similar to the ones set by Trump. With a new administration coming in, it'll be interesting to see who steps up to the plate for the Republican Party whether it's familiar faces or previously unheard of. Either way, there are many possibilities for the Republican Party moving forward, and the decisions they make will be key to shaping American democracy for decades to come.
the future of American democracy won't really be determined by a specific party or policy, though. It's going to be determined by the younger generations, by us. I know it's a cheesy line, but we are, in fact, the future. And so to gain firsthand insights from the younger people who are activists and working to shape our country's political landscape, I spoke with some of my fellow public policy and political science students here at the University of Michigan about their views on America's political future. Describe your feelings on the political future of America in one word. Anxious. Grim. Polarized. Apprehensive. What are you excited about for the future? I'm excited to see the squad has been reelected, and I think it's really promising that, like, Joe Biden is committed to working on the climate. Having an administration that is able to gain and retain respect around the world. Getting back to an actual climate agenda, not abandoning the rest of the world in this global battle. The House of Representatives is becoming more representative of the American people. What are your concerns? I think I'm concerned about the mindset that a lot of people have of returning to normal because I think it's really important to be able to criticize administrations no matter whether they're Democrat or Republican. Joe Biden dying. If it remains Republican control of the Senate, then I'm just afraid of gridlock in Washington and nothing, nothing happening. There's going to be a stronger movement to create a universal vision for Democrats, and that's going to mean letting go of a lot of the more progressive ideas that Democrats have and focusing on moving more centrist and losing out on a lot of important legislation. What policy issues do you think are most important or should be prioritized in the new administration and moving forward? An issue that I'm very passionate about is immigration. And I think that making sure that the Policies like the Remain in Mexico policy, which was passed by the Trump administration, is repealed right away. And the protection for undocumented students and the DREAM Act and DACA are all very well protected. I think that it's important to like shift the rhetoric that has been established these last four years. First thing has to be climate. I think that should be every government's first priority. Reforms in the field of government accountability need to be enacted Norms and principles aren't enough. There needs to be uh, mechanisms to hold government officials, such as the president with so much power, more accountable for their actions. Bolstering the options that people have for medical access and insurance in the United States should be a prop priority, especially with COVID. Do you think our democratic system is broken? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, why? There's a lot of things wrong with having a two-party system. I just think it's important to have things that make it a little bit more representative and fair. I don't know of a time where people were as divisive as they are now. Let's take the Electoral College for an example. I mean, it's a winner-takes-all system in a majority of the states, so I don't think it's very inherently democratic when a majority of the votes in an election essentially gets discarded. It's not democratic. The voice of the American people isn't well represented. Lastly, what are good ways for younger people to get involved in politics and democratic efforts? Being a part of a grassroots organization where you can 
get on the ground and talk to people about issues that you care about and kind of work from a bottom-up mentality, I think that is a really great way to get involved. Local elections are something that any youngster can kind of get involved in and participate and have just as big of an impact. Emphasizing the importance of civic duty in public schooling and private schooling. Advocate for what you believe in and advocate and gain traction for how you want your view of the political system to change and make it happen. That final point is something I want to reemphasize. So I'll let you hear it again through Trevor Daly's words. People think generally that it takes too much work to make a difference, and I don't think that's true. People should figure out how they can get more involved, stand up, take a stance. I hope that people just don't wait for the next protest. I hope that people, you know, rise up and figure out what they can do today. The past few months have brought on a flurry of questions about our country's democratic future. What's going to happen? Who's going to lead it? And how are we going to get better? Still, we can begin to answer these questions and guide these solutions towards the values, goals, and ideals of our generation today, just like Trevor said. So here's what I recommend to you. If you want things to change, start making it happen today. Special thanks to Trevor Daly and my university peers for taking the time to speak with me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the inaugural season of Democracy Unmuted. We hope you enjoy it.